Light beer, dark money. Agree on something. Politics, culture, and the intersection of faith, freedom, and free enterprise. And now, here are your hosts, Light Beer, Chris Clements, and Dark Money, Sean Noble. Welcome back to another episode of Light Beer, Dark Money. I'm repeating myself as we talked about a couple episodes ago because they haven't, we have an intro. Yeah, we do. I probably should go first, but you know what? I'm I'm Chris Clements. That's Sean Noble. Why don't we just jump right to our guests? Since we yeah, and we are we are really pleased to have a good buddy of mine uh, named Chuck Lofton of Lofton Equipment Company, and also uh, Greater Phoenix. Yes, sir. Good morning. Graduate of the University of Arizona. Best five proud, years of my life. Proud, <laughs> proud Wildcat. <laughs> five years. Former plus. rugby player. Yes, sir. We both uh, grew up under the esteemed tutelage of one Dave Sitton, former. You know, rugby coach of the University of Arizona for 36 years. 36 years. That's yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah. Dave and was you, an amazing guy. You went to high school. Here locally in Phoenix. Phoenix. Yeah. yeah. Brophy. Okay. Oh, you went to Brophy? I did. I thought you went to Sunny Slope for some reason. That's the neighborhood I grew up in. Okay. That's but you yeah. grew up there and you went yeah. to Brophy. My dad went to Sunny Slope. Okay. Great school. Yeah. Well, okay. it's really good now. I mean, it's, it's not that it's not been good, but it's, it's, oh, yeah, it's one of those that has waiting lists. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty impressive. So how have you been? I've been excellent. Yeah? What's, guys, going, what's going on at Lofton Equipment Company these days? This is like an amazing family enterprise. Yeah, thank you. We've been just, around since the mid-70s. Yeah, 1976. We just celebrated our 45th anniversary, opened up a new headquarters right down the street. So life is good right now. How is Lofton Equipment Company contributing to the free enterprise system? And great. Uh, meritocracy. <laughs> meritocracy. <laughs> Because one of our pillars here is, you know, faith, freedom, free enterprise. And we, we want to bring on business people who want to talk, tell their story. And, and uh, how, how did, you know, how did Lofton get started? And how did you get, you know, you grew up in the company, obviously. Yeah. So my dad was uh, in between colleges, as he likes to say. So he was parting his way through U of A, then ASU. Uh, he grew up in a family business. And uh, he said, school is not for me. I know I don't want to work for anybody. You know, he was the boss's kid growing up. And... I uh, went out and bought a company called Nelson Electric. Didn't know anything about generators or engine rewind. Just knew that he wanted to be his own man. And went ahead and did it and applied to be the Kohler distributor. And we started growing from there. So started in uh, Maricopa County, grew throughout Arizona, eventually uh, Southern Nevada, New Mexico, and, and now all of Texas. So we have all of Texas. We have all of Texas. That's amazing. Yeah, wow. it's, it's quite the ride. Now, when people think of Kohler, they think, you know, sinks and toilets they don't think of generators Th- that is a perception out there but Kohler's actually been in power for over 100 years okay so yeah it's it's actually a pretty cool tie-in to get the plumbing so they had this uh hog scalder right plumbing in rural america and um they put feet underneath that became the modern bathtub as you will but to get water to pump it they had to have a electrical plant and thus the first generator was born wow no kidding. Yeah. I, not I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to learn all sorts wow. of things. Oh, yeah. We're having an education. <clears throat> yeah. And, and how big is Kohler now? Uh, six to seven billion. Yeah. Privately held by the Kohler family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're building a plant down in Casa Grande, aren't they? They are. Yeah. Is, is that generators or is that, is that uh, fixtures? That, that's a like distribution that? facility for okay. the fixtures and, and whatnot, yeah. Okay. Most of their generators are still manufactured in Kohler, Wisconsin. And then they've okay. got an engine plant in Mississippi and 
you know, other worldwide manufacturing. That's great. And how did, how did, did you always know that you wanted to be in the family business? Uh, great question. I actually wanted to do anything but be in the family <laughs> business, uh, to be honest. Um, you know, I wanted to do my own thing uh, when I got out into the world. Uh, work for an engineering company and uh, a couple other spots and realized that uh, had it pretty good. Um, my dad was an amazing mentor, still is. And, you know, I kind of went to my mom and I said, you know, what do you think about, uh, what do you think dad would say if I want to join Lofton? She said, are you kidding me? He'd love it. You know, that, that's fantastic. But it's only, you know, if you want to do it. So I uh, got in there, started at the bottom and away we went. So what does the bottom look like at Kohler? As a color distributor? Yeah. I mean, what does the bottom look like? Like, I grew up in, uh, obviously, in the beer distribution business. So the, the bottom for me was literally, you know, scrubbing floors oh, and yeah. cleaning toilets. Yeah, there's, there's janitorial stuff, sweeping floors, cleaning toilets, warehouse. And then you move on to uh, shipping and receiving. So you're boxing and shipping parts. And, and then you move into, uh, if you have any technical aptitude, then you're in a truck or working on uh, engines and generators. That was definitely not me. Uh, <laughs> So they threw me over into sales. Uh, Did you ever management. get electrocuted? No, no, okay. thankfully not yet. Okay. I used to be fixing neons and like, so, and it'd be, it'd be a metal table or something like that. And then some, some one of the guys would like zap me. No. <laughs> it was the worst. Not fun. No. How much, how much did uh, employees like give you a hard time, make fun of you, beat you down a little bit? I think you got to earn your stripes. So yeah. that's just a natural part of the process. And you definitely don't come in and throw your weight around. Yeah. You got to earn your place in any business. And that's why I talked about meritocracy earlier. Um, so there was a learning curve, but people have been working for my dad for 20, 30 years. And so they wanted you know, me to succeed. So they were much more trying to help out and hear the lessons off to the side um, versus trying to make me look foolish. Yeah. So. Well, I'm sure they made you look full of oh, and made a number of times. Series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just sort of yeah. the lot of the SOB, the son yeah. of the boss. So, what, when, what, how did that transition work when your dad stepped a little bit more out and you were coming in? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I thought that if I went and got my MBA uh, off to the side, then I'd be ready to take over. And he had a very sobering thought for me after I wrote this really sweet business plan, 12-page business plan about what I'd like to do with it. And he said, this is great. I'm proud of you for doing your MBA. You're not ready. So, uh, <laughs> you know, why, why don't you get back out there and continue to work? So um, it, it probably happened when I was 30 that it was a natural time and a natural evolution because we were trying to scale up throughout Texas. We had a lot more branches that were opening, so a lot more employees and you know, formulated an executive team that, you know, we could share ideas off of and, you know, with the understanding that what got us here isn't going to take us to where we want to go in the future. And again, he, he gave me a lot of love and a, and a lot of rope to hang myself, if you will. <laughs> so um, it's, been, it's, been, it's been a great ride. And again, he's, he's still heavily involved in the business, uh, founder and chairman role. And, um, you know, he's the heartbeat of Lofton. He's, he's really the one that sets the culture and continues to make it a family. That's great. Yeah. How many employees do you have? Uh, we're close to 200 now. Wow. That's, that's yeah. impressive. That's you know, cool. it's interesting. You guys were talking about the, uh, the vaccines earlier and the masks. You know, that piece we, of legislation. We, we talk about that a lot. <laughs> that did not go through with uh, OSHA and the over 100 employees yeah. was a huge deal. And we had, you know, we did straw polls with our team. And, you know, we said, what would you do 
if you were required at Lofton to get a vaccination. They say, I'd leave and I'd go somewhere else. Hmm. Basically, don't tread on me. Don't tell me what to do. And so that is a big piece of having a private company is not having to have as many um, oversights, if you will. And so that was a big overreach that was averted, thankfully, because we would have lost a lot of great quality people. Yeah, that's it's so many people just don't really hadn't really thought through what the impact would be because, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's choice. I mean, it should be a freedom. Freedom of choice. Well, what's interesting about that is that the government, or at least the left, would look at it as like, oh, it's less than, you know, it's 100 employees. I mean, it's, it's not that many. But, but what they don't realize is that it's, you know, a lot of private enterprises will probably try to get under that 100. Right. Lay people off, do whatever they can to, to honor their employees' choices and honor how they want to run their business. Well, I mean, if you're anywhere on the margin, if you're like yeah. 110 or so. But to be at 200... That's, yeah, there, yeah. There, was no, there's, there was no there's no wiggle room. Right. There's no out. Well, and what 100 is pretty arbitrary. Yeah. I, I don't know where that yeah, exactly. came up. That's my point. Yeah. What, um, during COVID, I mean, how did it really affect the way you were working and, and uh, yeah, your so, business in general? So we're in a 24-7 business, obviously, backup power. And uh, there was a period of uncertainty of a couple weeks. Uh, the toughest part was our technicians uh, were not allowed on site to a lot of different facilities, right? I mean... Everyone was super scared, and so um, they didn't want the liability of having uh, someone come on site even to repair, fix, or maintain the generator itself. Um, So that was probably the toughest time, and then people backed off of that and realized how critical um, it was uh, for our space. And then we started to continue to evolve and add more and more. You can't believe the amount of orders that got, right? I mean, this was a worldwide crisis. Sure. And then we go into supply chain issues. So the amount of backlog that is still there with everything going on in the energy space is insane. And so we are trying to fulfill and get through all of these orders, um, all of the new builds, all of the supply chain constraints, but really difficult at the onset. And then 60 days after that, it was like the spigot is back on and flowing more than ever. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. So... Talk to us a little bit about, I mean, you're in the energy space and, you know, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Um, how, what are some things that people may not think about or may not understand the totality of as far as how we deal with going forward on the energy side? I mean, obviously what's going on with Russia invading Ukraine has impact on us, obviously in Europe. Um, but how does all that kind of work together and What should people be thinking about? I think from a macro level is what is the hesitancy on nuclear? Hmm. Nuclear seems to be the most efficient option going forward. Um, You know, little waste. Um, Sure, there's been a couple minor accidents. um, But at the end of the day, I think not enough people are talking about nuclear. Um, you see what's going on in Europe, and they're about to start heading down that that way. Um, but well, they, Europe has shut down a ton of nuclear power plants over the last several years, and it's what has caused a lot of the issues. Right. Oh, yeah. There. I mean, and now they're like, oh, well, maybe we should Russia. rethink that. Right. Yeah, so that, that needs to be layered back in. I think that's ultimately where we go, but there's a lot of steps to get between here and there. Um, I think one of the things that can get dangerous is how quickly people want to proceed. You know, there's this perceived 
increase in temperature and how much that's going to affect well that that's been you know talked about from the rooftops for a number of years so you know to get to where we want to go it takes a lot of engineering um, to get these pieces of equipment these technologies in place if you think about it just take the example of the um, car companies here for GM, um, all of the engineers that they have on staff and how they've honed to get those engines as efficient as they possibly can be with the EPA restrictions and you know not throwing out as much exhaust or as much particulate filter. I mean, they had you know hundreds, if not thousands, of engineers working on that for 10 to 15 years on this latest go around. But before that, you know, obviously 40 to 100 years. So they are moving all of those resources into the battery space to get that technology as efficient as they possibly can and hopefully drive the cost down. Well, in the meantime, the consumers are going to suffer until we can get the technology where it needs to be. And I think that's not what a lot of people are talking about. They see the end goal. They don't see the cost and the timing and the energy and the effort to get there. So that needs to be continued to be talked about. Don't throw out an arbitrary, everything needs to be roses by 2050. You know, tell us the plan of how we're going to get there. And by the way, what are the costs to the people when that technology starts to get layered in? Yeah, I think that's a great point because yeah. I think there are, there's a misperception that electric vehicles are going to be affordable. And by affordable, I mean like in the twenty to 30000 range, you know, soon. And that's probably not the case in a mass scale. I mean, what, I mean, what's the average price of a Tesla? Right? Like 60 or 70. And, and what are they asking for for a new, like, Chevrolet Silverado electric? Uh, 80? Probably 100, maybe at more. At least? I mean, I think right. the, I mean, Mary Bear was on all the business shows, I think, yesterday or, or two days ago, talking about their pre-orders for the Silverado electric are off, off the charts. You did a pre-order did on a pre-order for the Ford F-150 Lightning, and, and, but that's going to be a hundred grand. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's which I is mean, why I'm glad I got to, <laughs> I got pushed off because I got to save up the money to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did a pre-order for a gas guzzling <laughs> GMC 84 again. Well, hold on to that. Yeah. You know, in 20 or 30 years, that'll yeah. be catch oh. a pretty penny at Bear Jackson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. <laughs> But, 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 but the way we talked a little bit about before we went live, but the, the, the waste of those lithium batteries, we haven't really figured all that out either. I, I, that's another great point. I don't know if that's being discussed at all or the recycling plans of where that goes or how that gets reintroduced. I mean, there's a lot of different things you can do with a diesel engine waste. The block gets, you know, repurposed, remanned, boiled down. I mean, what are we going to do with the battery? I, I personally don't know. I don't know if they're talking about it right now, but yeah. But let's go into what, I mean, that's one part of it, getting to the end of the battery. But how do we get to the battery itself? I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people don't really think through in that regard. Yeah. As far as rare earth minerals and all that, right? Precisely. And I, I, I don't know which tangent you want to go on, who owns the rare earth minerals or where are they located right now. But between lithium and cobalt and mining and extracting all of that, right, what pieces of equipment are you using? What labor, if you're in uh, developing uh, nations, uh, are you using? Are people comfortable with that? Uh, and then the cost to get that over to the plants to be produced. Where is the, I, I think I read somewhere that the majority of nickel is in Russia. That sounds right, yeah. yeah. Right right near China. That's not so. <laughs> yeah, and, the, and that's the other piece. China holds, uh, you know, most of those batteries are built in China. 
They are. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and they, and so, they, I mean, and you're, they have you're pushing, push. you're trying to push for an economic outcome with, with the advance of, you know, electric battery technology in cars. And yet at the same time, you're going to have to rely on, you know, your adversaries to, to fulfill those, you know, that vision. Yeah. And that's exactly. And I think that becomes an important sticking point on this narrative of, I don't think a lot of people are trying to be in the way of progress. It's just having eyes wide open. And this environmental push, this climate change push, push is littered with anti-capitalist rhetoric in there. And that turns a lot of people off. And then, you know, the, the hidden cost, the hidden um, agenda behind it. And then, you know, just not being forthcoming of, you know, here's how we get there. Here's the costs in the short term. And then this is why it's going to be better in the future. But, you know, you got to have all those answers besides just saying a diesel engine is bad because it pollutes. Right. Well, and it's going to take capitalism to get to where they want to go. So for them to be anti-capitalist just strikes me as completely counterproductive. Yeah, I, I would think that if you if you firmly believe in this agenda, you would have it with open arms and want to include people that want to be part of the solution as opposed to putting them at arm's length. You know, Elon Musk has gone from hero to goat. Well, he is goat <clears throat> in some ways. But what I mean is... Greatest of all time? Yes. Maybe? Or, yes. yeah. I mean, he's the richest guy <laughs> in the world. Um, but, you know, he was Solar City, Tesla, SpaceX. These were all things that generally the left was cheering. And somehow he's shifted into this, like, somehow he's a right-wing nut because of Twitter. Um, yeah. I don't know. It, it strikes me as, as looking a gift horse in the mouth. Well, but but you even see the the reaction to Elon even ahead of his his Twitter purchase and and what Joe Biden and the administration was trying to do with uh, industrial policy and and saying that you know if you if you buy an electric car from a GM or a Ford you get this great great rebate but not if you buy a Tesla which is still an American company but it's not union so it's well, only union made so those type of decisions create imbalances in the market that are just completely unnecessary. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I, I, they, I know that the rebate was meant to, to help boost sales, but also to help the companies that were doing it. And Tesla has been so successful that they've grown out of the rebate number. Yeah. But it doesn't make sense if the goal is to get as many people into EVs as possible. Well, going back, why do you think that Elon has had a fall from grace from so many people? I mean, with what you talked about, all the companies that he has built, is it because he's a billionaire? Is it because he ha holds that much money and potentially that much power? I think it's part of it. I think that they, they while they championed and cheered what he was doing with the, in the EV space and the solar uh, space, they, the success that he, he got made him all of a sudden one of the evil guys because, oh, well, he's a billionaire. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, billionaire 200 times over. Um, it, it goes to a mentality, I think, that, that they don't quite, that, you know, there's a cognitive dissonance in the sense that they want all these great things to happen, and yet somebody who puts the work into making it happen becomes successful, and then they resent the, the success that they've enjoyed. I mean, it's... It's a pathology, I think, that we've got to figure out how to overcome in the American political system uh, because 
this division uh, is very counterproductive uh, for any kind of progress. I mean, who's going to want to, you know, if, if it's like, oh, well, if I do that, I'm going to get assailed. Um, I don't know. The, the, the incentives seem to be screwed up. Well, well I think I think I, I was just listening to what you're saying. I think on the left, though, there seems to be, like, if you become a millionaire or a billionaire, you did something either nefarious or illegal to do to yeah to do that you didn't earn you didn't, that you didn't really yeah you didn't earn who that. did you, you who did you screw over you didn't build that, that. and there's yeah. this idea that 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 capitalism because it creates some inequities that if you if you're successful you and you're competitive you did something to another person that that was that was wrong well it's, it's a like feeling no that you the, just were competitive and you built a better mousetrap yeah, and right. and their mousetrap wasn't that great and now you're being successful People well, they, buy Teslas over Chevy Volts because it's a better, it's yeah, a better mousetrap. Right. That's just the way it is. Well, and now it's, are there competition coming up? Yeah, sure. And he, and Elon Musk is going to have to deal with that. He's going to have to continue to advance that technology, right? And have an incentive to advance that technology to continue to be successful. But with, I, I think with the left, they they not only they're, they're going to give you, you know. You're going to be successful, but then there seems to be this idea that if you are successful, you need to be then subservient to some government Con control idea. issue. Yeah, control, and and that that is socialism. That's communism. That's yeah. and and if you're successful in Russia, you're subservient to the government. Which now we're seeing these oligarchs get killed over the last. Have you guys seen these these articles? <laughs> two of them that. No, there's been like five or six of them that well, two like found hung and their kids their families shot are dead. And, crazy yeah. stuff going on but but it's the same in europe is you know europe for many many years operated under kind of a feudal system where if you were your dad was a baker you were going to be a baker there wasn't this idea that you could go and do something else mm -hmm. the 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 problem with the mentality of a lot of the left the progressives is that they think that the pie is one size and so if you're successful you're taking away from somebody else they don't understand that the beauty of our free market system is that the pie grows. I mean, that's what, I mean, it didn't grow this last quarter. It's shrinking a little bit because the economy's coming back because of inflation and other things. But the idea is that we are continuing to make progress, grow. People are becoming more and more successful. I mean, the, the standard of living in the United States today is just light years ahead of where it was even 20 years ago. I mean, it's it's amazing to watch, and it's you know it's the innovation mm -hmm. of companies like yours and others that hey, let's figure out how to make life better for people. Yeah, rising amount of poverty is a big deal, and you know how much progress Elon has done for the world is is a big deal, and it's to be celebrated. And back to your point, just because he can't fit in a box, he's not a villain, right? Yeah. But but even with like a family company like yours, and to a certain extent. Uh, Company, family company that we had in order to be successful and in order to be a market leader there's a cost to that right there's a cost in your time talent and treasure and and if you have a certain goal that you want to achieve whether it be market share or throughput or whatever it is or you know gross revenue you know, you got to go out and get it <laughs> it's right. not going to be handed to you and there's a cost to that and that's what i think a lot of people in the left don't understand there's there's you know, if, you know, for us, I was just thinking about our, our competitors that we had. I mean, we, we did things better, stronger, faster than they did. And we were able to reap the rewards of that. But we weren't necessarily a hugely profitable company because of it either. 
you know, and we were okay with that. That was right. those are the trade offs that we had to endure. Well, three years ago we had ninety employees. Now we've got two hundred. Yeah. So that's one hundred and ten job creations, one hundred and ten different families that now have opportunities that they might not have otherwise had. So as we grow, normal, right? So too does the rest of the people around us. So, and back to your point, I think the perception that as companies are successful and they put more money to the bottom line, that they are evil or it's on the backs of other people. I think if you go to a, around to a lot of employees of private businesses, they love being there. They yeah. love working there. They know what the families do for them. And they know that they've got a path to succeed and they're happy at work and they're putting their head down and going to work and enjoying life. I mean, enjoying yeah, the, the benefits. The vast majority of private businesses, owner entrepreneurs, family businesses put money not so much into the bottom line. They put it back in. Their, their bottom line is their people. And yeah. they put, that's where they put their money. Well, Absolutely. And if, if there's any and, doubt about, about people being happy with where they are, it's, it's the fact that this is a, a worker's economy right now. Oh, you can absolutely. go anywhere. There's so many odd jobs available. If you don't have people flocking away from you, then you're doing something right. You're doing something tremendously right. And that's, that's part of the competition. You know, you're not only competing against your direct competitors, you're competing for you know, people capital. Right. Making sure that your employees are well taken care of, well, you know, well paid, benefits are great, whatever else that they, that's important to them. Yeah, I think back to what Sean was saying, the pie isn't only this big. It continues to expand as you put more people to work in a free market, right? That's more people need to understand that. Yeah. yeah. Or appreciate that. Right. What, uh, so you've been at this for a while. Um, what have been the biggest challenges you've faced in taking over the business and what's been the biggest surprise? I think the biggest challenge is quality people in the organization and finding that talent. I think one of the most difficult things with a trade like uh, being a technician or a plumber or an air conditioning mechanic or you know any engine mechanic is this perception that you can't make a great living and that you need to go to university or you need to go to college. That is absolutely not the case. I mean. You know, I, I could show our team that, you know, if you're 21 years old, three to five years, you can make 100K in, in our field. Mm -hmm. You just need to put in the work. You need to train and you need to read, read up on jobs. And, you know, I, I think that's probably the most surprising is getting people to understand that this is an amazing living that you can make and be proud of and something that you're excited about in a field as opposed to going to college and trying to get it figured out. So a lot of people want to go and try and get it figured out, littered with debt, you know, after that. Yep. But the trades are a phenomenal way to continue to grow and make an amazing living. Yeah, it is. It, it is remarkable how little attention especially with the student debt issues and all the, oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to uh, forgive all this debt, that kind of, why we haven't done more to encourage people to get into the trades. I mean, there's real money to be made. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, yeah. it, it must be that the, just the university system is just so captivated the political class and it's important to have Do you see it changing though? 
I think as the generations start to shift, I think probably a lot of pressure is put on, you know, teenagers to go to college, maybe by their parents. Either they didn't go or they did, and they think that that is the single catalyst for success. Um, And I think that will change. And I think, you know, what we're seeing right now with the movement of employees, they they can make a great living at a lot of different jobs in a lot of different companies. And I think they're going to start, you know, trying their hand at other things that they're more passionate about as opposed to feeling like they're saddled at a desk and they don't really enjoy what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you, I mean, one thing the pandemic has done in in terms of the shutdowns in American universities is now you're seeing enrollments plummet. Mm -hmm. And so colleges and universities have a really difficult road ahead. Especially I mean, there's, young men. there's some of the elite ones, and the, those are, they're fine. It's just that the, there's been a sort of an awakening of the cost of college, what their you know parents awakening to what they're learning in college and coming back with, <laughs> mm-hmm. which you know I, I, I'm not sending my kid to come back and with all this radical, crazy stuff. I, I'd rather them just stay home and we can figure out something here. Right. So that's where the trades really become important. And there's a ma- there's a massive shortage. I mean, no matter who you talk to, it's people looking for qualified talent is is a huge deal. Yeah. So how much? Um, so there's a big push right now with with the Biden administration and you know for unionism mm-hmm. and unions. How much have you had to deal with that? Have you had to deal with that at all? Very little. Not in the companies uh, that we surround ourselves with, our customers, you know, um, electrical contracting companies and general contractors, sure, in different pockets if you're in Vegas or if you're in California. Again, we're, we're more regionally based in Arizona and Texas. So very little. And I don't see much of that, thankfully, knock on wood, uh, <laughs> yeah. coming our way, but never say never. Um, I. I I don't know what the selling proposition is to join a union. Uh, I, I really don't. And so it would be interesting to ask, why are you doing this? You know, what do you think you're protecting? I, I might have an antiquated view, but this isn't the early 1800s where working conditions are extremely poor and you're not, you know, being treated well. Yeah, there's this thing called OSHA. It's basically OSHA re- regulates everything. Social media. Yeah. I, I, if you well, have, and just the fact that there's so many other options. I mean, right. you you have to do things to keep your employees happy for them to stay because it's it costs money to lose somebody and then have to retrain or bring somebody else in. So, I mean, I, I'm with you. I just you know, it doesn't make sense. Well, and yet we have two senators here in the state of Arizona who are ushering through, trying to usher through the Pro Act which would make forced unionization, you know, a reality. It would just destroy the right-to-work laws in, in the 28 states that have it and, and basically give your, your employees, if they want to join a union, give you a card that says, here, we took a vote. Now you, you have to accept it. Have you had them on the show? Uh, no, we have not. We're trying. Yeah. We just can't find Mark Kelly. <laughs> we can't find Mark Kelly. We're still wondering where he is. Do we Shut have that graphic? That <laughs> Wanted. Perfect. Wanted. Where is Mark where Kelly? Where is Mark Kelly? Ether. Somewhere in space. Probably. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, you know, we, we've, I think it's a huge issue. It's something that maybe, you know, especially small businesses need to be a- absolutely aware of. You know, once you... Because it only takes a couple of people, you know, in your in, you know, they're in the shop to say, hey, you know, I think a union would be a good thing, and 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 what the government's trying to do is or at least, you know, two of our senators are make it a lot easier. Yeah, I, I, 
you know, for us, family business, family culture, you're part of the family, and we can do special things for you once you're within here. But if you put up a wall or a division and you become a different um, group, so to speak, within the company, then, I, I, again, I, I just don't see the benefit of it. Yeah, but the relationship changes. And the relationship changes, and it becomes acrimonious or at, at best. And Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I can speak from experience to that. I mean, we had the Teamsters down in Tucson, but the, then the rest of our branches were, were non-union, and it created all these issues. And I can tell you, it probably have the opposite effect. If they, if they started to unionize more in Arizona, you've got probably some people that are already ready for retirement. They might just shut their business down. Yep. Yeah. Or, or sell, sell it, it or go elsewhere, right? I mean, is that yeah. really the, what you wanted, or is that the unintended consequence? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, especially for family businesses. Right. They always have an option. Yeah, yeah, always have an option. What uh, What would you? What advice would you give to other than, to young people other than go to get some trade training <laughs> and come work for you? But what uh, you know for young entrepreneurial spirited people? Um, what's what kind of advice do you have for folks who like? Hey, I want to I want to run something. I think to me, the biggest thing that either isn't talked about enough uh, or is lacking is authenticity. I think if you're really trying to do something and create a business, being upfront and honest with people um, and not snowing them over, um, I, I think there's a lot of great ideas out there, but people get plugged into the wrong system or they're serving multiple masters and they lose their way or they, they don't become themselves anymore. and you know, they wake up five years from now looking themselves in the mirror and they don't like what they see. So I think being true to yourself, being authentic, being open and honest with your team and your employees and, and what you're trying to accomplish, you know, you're going to set the world on fire. Yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice. Yeah. What else? We've taken a lot of yeah. this time. What do, you, what do you, when you look at your competition, I mean, what, what sort of things have you implemented to be competitive in this environment? To, to, to master the, the environment that you're in? Probably a narrower focus than our competitors have. You know, um, as we go up against some of the big boys, Caterpillar and Cummins, they've got a lot of different products and services that they offer. It's not just power generation or engines. They've, they've got a full complement of other things. And, you know, you can lose focus on um, backup generators uh, really quickly yeah. <laughs> because, uh, you know, backup generator might cost 30000 and uh, that skid steer that you have out back costs a couple hundred thousand, right? So um, I, I think narrowing the focus into what we do and, you know, having goals of how we want to achieve them. And like I said, you know, it, it's not one big leap. We have to incrementally get there and being patient. Uh, and then the last thing is having a family culture, loving on our team, loving on our employees. You know that 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 is irreplaceable uh, from a corporation. Yeah, so. that's a great point. In this in this crazy environment, what's your greatest fear? I think that the regulations imposed upon our business stifling out the entrepreneurship that is. Um, made it so great um, where people will continue to um, shut up shop and go elsewhere into different spaces. The, the energy space is 
uh, top of mind for a lot of people. I just hopefully we have uh, a lot of pragmatic people thinking about this. So I, I would say just from a macro level that you know it's going to take steps to get to where we all think we should go. Let's not you know jump into the ocean uh, without understanding those implications. Yeah. So you're not like a big fan of the Green New Deal. Would I, say. I, I would say no. <laughs> uh, you, yeah. you think that's the big jump into the ocean? That's a jump into and the ocean. Sure. Well, with, I mean, with every the intent to drown. Yeah. And, and again, I, I just go back to why. Well, I mean, what is the basis behind that? You know, are you looking for to quote unquote save future generations? Is that is that really what you're looking for, or you don't like you know seeing smoke come out of an engine? I, I, I just the cost of that without the implications is, I would say at best, is not thought all the way through. Well, they, they, yeah, I think the biggest problem is that they don't recognize how bad the quality of life issue will become if oh, you take yeah. away all the, if, if you put these mandates in place and regulations and, I mean, it's going to change. It would fundamentally change the way that we live as a society and not in a good way. And it ultimately wouldn't actually do much to save the environment. Well, I think, I think they're getting a taste of that a little bit with the high gas prices that we have, a lot of which is, is due to the regulatory policy and economic policy of this administration. Yeah. yeah. It has nothing to do with what's coming out of Russia. Right. Do, do we have enough reserves in, in Texas and Dakota to be able to tap into? I, 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 I feel I like that's a missed that we, opportunity. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and then the, I mean, and you guys don't deal with this. Well, maybe you do a little bit in, in natural gas generation and, and that's, that sort of thing. I mean, the, the, the sudden war or anti-natural gas sentiment that, has, that, that that is out there with our government makes no sense to me at all, especially since we are a plus producer of natural gas. You saw just yesterday or two days ago, Russia shut down you know, natural gas distribution to, uh, to, to Poland, and we could be shipping liquefied natural gas to, to Europe, you know, um, very, very quickly. And we need to get those, <laughs> I guess there's like 90 permits that still haven't been executed. Yeah, I mean, there's just something crazy. That, that is how you energy. Make, yeah, and that's how you make the jump to nuclear, but it, gas should not be a bad word. Natural gas, liquefied natural gas, everything you're talking about, it's a cleaner burn than gasoline and the refinement. It, it is absolutely what should be bridging. Yeah, yeah. and it yeah. should be an option along with electric. You know, absolutely. electric motors, ga motors that run on, on compressed natural gas is just as good, if not better, more plentiful. Right. So, well, well we can go down a lot of rabbit holes. A lot of rabbit holes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah, so much for so taking much. the time. Absolutely. It's this great fun. having you. Appreciate you, it, guys. Uh, Go to Lofton. We've got our hats. We got our, our, yes. Wear these proudly. So Those are sweet and comfortable. It. These are very <laughs> nice. No, we need swag. Yeah. We, we have no swag. We have no swag. Yeah, we got nothing. I guess we'll have to do that. You know, maybe just some shot glasses or something. Yeah, well, I don't know about that. But a t-shirt? A t-shirt? Yeah. <laughs> Start there. Yeah. yeah. Coffee That's mugs? Safe, uh, coffee mug. There you go. You know, hats. Well, thanks, Chuck. Where are Chuck, you. Where, if people yeah. want to learn more about Lofton or you, where, yeah. where do they go? Uh, it's all about our team. So it's loftonequip.com is our website. And we've got uh, open positions, probably 10 or 12 right now. So oh, great. Yeah. if anybody's yeah. thinking about it. There yeah. you go. And if you're nervous about the coming apocalypse, they've got, you know, 
Kohler residential generators. Absolutely. Got to be prepared for, right. for sale. That's step one. <laughs> and and you're growing your residential business quite a bit too, aren't you? We are. Yeah. 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 We think that's a, that's a big, uh, a big push to the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, if the electricity grid goes down, how am I going to charge my Tesla? Exactly. You to got have, it. You know? Yeah. So, well, <laughs> you and, and with the storms we have here during the summer, electric grids go down. Yeah. They do. Yeah. And in Texas. And in Texas. Texas. Yeah. Yeah. Texas. disasters is a big deal. I'm guessing right. the ice storms last year were not bad for you. No, so. it, was, it was all positive. <laughs> it's just trying to get product. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Exactly. No, it's all good. Well, thanks so much. Thanks for your Thank friendship. You thanks for all you're doing for our community as well. Appreciate yep. that, Chris. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. You yeah. bet. It was fun, guys. All right. God bless. Thanks, guys. Cheers.